All right, so we are week three of our series called about the book of Ephesians. Once a year, we do a deep dive into one book of the Bible and unpack that book. And so this, this month, we're talking about the book of Ephesians, a, a, a letter. So it's an epistle. It's called an epistle or a letter. One of about 13 letters that Paul wrote to different churches or individuals in G- just after Jesus had died and gone to heaven. And so the church was being established. And Paul writes from the, from the prison in Rome four letters called the, uh, the, the prison epistles, the prison letters. And so it's Colossians, Philemon, uh, Ephesians, and Philippians are the four letters he writes. And, and just so you know, Paul's in prison in Rome for two years. He's not in hardcore prison. He's in, he's in prison where he can come and go, although it's suspected that he was chained to a Roman guard the whole time. So that's pretty hardcore. So when we say Paul wrote the letter, he didn't write the letter because he was chained to a Roman guard. He, he spoke it out loud and someone scribed the letter for him. In this day and age, only 10% of people could read or write. And so Paul used uh, a scribe to write the letter for him. And then it would come to the church and the church would read the letter out. Like I say, because 90% of people couldn't read. So they would le- read this letter out to the church of Ephesus. Now, I'm not going to repeat everything we've done, but I encourage you, if you haven't yet heard the first week or the second week, have a listen to them because you'll get the context, you'll get the understanding, you'll get the geography and the culture of the day of when this letter was written. Quick little recap, though. Uh, the, first, the first part that we talked about, week one, is Paul spent pretty much the first three chapters of Ephesians. So in the, new, in, in the Bible, we break it down into chapters and verses, but when it was written, it wasn't. And so the first half of the book of Ephesians is pretty much Paul telling us how awesome it is that when Jesus died on the cross, he died to make us right with God. And so if we could summarize it, I'd summarize it in Ephesians 2, verse 4 to 6. But because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions or we were sinners, it is by grace, everybody say grace, that you have been saved. And God raised us with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Grace is undeserved or unmerited favor. And when, when a person puts our faith in Jesus Christ, begins a relationship with God, which if you have never done before and you're here today, at the end of this service, we want to give you an opportunity to connect with God, something miraculous happens. You don't just have to now spend the rest of your life trying really hard to please God. Uh, at the moment you are born again, something you get born again spiritually, and in that moment you're instantly made holy. This is good news. You're instantly made righteous because you're born into Christ. You are adopted immediately into God's family. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart the moment you put your faith in Christ. Uh, The Bible tells us we're one with Christ from that moment. The Bible says from that moment we have access to every spiritual blessing in heaven. We don't earn every spiritual blessing. We have immediate access to them. This is the grace of Jesus. And the Bible says we're literally seated with Christ in heavenly places. This this is the great news. So when Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, verse 1, he doesn't go, uh, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, writing to all the tryhards in the church at Ephesus. He doesn't write, I'm writing to all the sinners in the church of Ephesus. 
Although many of us, we all are still sinning, but he doesn't, you know who he writes to? The saints. He says, to all the saints in the church at Ephesus. Now, when you read about some of the things they were doing in those churches, you're like, these guys aren't saints. But he's talking about your status with Christ, that you're holy and you're righteous. Day one, minute one, for the rest of your life, unless you renounce it, you're right with God. And that's called being justified by grace. We don't deserve it. It's a gift. And it's the good news of the gospel. All right, that's, that's, that's the first thing. So turn to your neighbor and say, hello, saint. Come on, you know you are. You know you are. Then last week we talked about, so that's, that's our position. Of, okay, that's a lot of talking. I was just, hello, saint, was all I asked. I didn't ask for a theological discussion about what a saint is, or I didn't ask you to say someone, uh, no, anyway, let's, let's go. All right, so that's the first thing. We're seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's our status with God. The next part was unpacked last week by Toby and Melbourne, Teresa and Isaac here, was now that we're, we have this status of being right with God, that we're seated with God, now we've got to learn to walk that out. Now we've got to learn to walk. So, so Paul says, as he begins to unpack this in chapter 4 and chapter 5, he says, as a prisoner of the Lord, so Paul's literally a prisoner in Rome, I plead with you to walk holy in a way that's suitable to your high rank given to you in your divine calling. So he's saying, okay, you've been made right with Christ. You've got a high rank. You're seated with God, with Christ in heavenly places. But now I'm urging you to walk it out. Okay, turn to your other neighbor and say, walk it out, saint. Come on, walk it out, saint. You've got to walk this thing out, baby. And so in Ephesians 4 and 5, Paul gets very practical about how to put off the old way you used to live and how to put on the new way. And he lists all these things that, that when you walk according to your new status, this, it's like this is the standard to live up to. So just a little note, if ever, anyone ever says, oh, church, it's, it, it's just it's full of hypocrites. Well, that's because we're all in this tension between our status and our walk. We're all trying to walk out what we know Jesus has made us, but we make mistakes. And this is the the next grace, the second type of grace. It's sanctifying grace. And sanctifying grace is another gift from the Spirit of God that we don't deserve, but it's available every day to change us from the inside out. And what we've got to do is align ourselves so that God's power to change, that's another type of grace, His power to change can work in us as we become more and more like Jesus. How are we going? All right. So Paul, uh, that's the recap. You can listen to those numbers of times because for the rest of your life and my life, focusing on our status and the mercy of God to give us undeserved favor and ruling and reigning with Jesus, focusing on that, thanking God for that, we now walk out of that, this transforming life with Jesus. All right. So now, a little detour, but it encompasses everything because there's a couple of key themes of Ephesians. And one, we've called this series Seated with Christ, but we could easily have called this series The Glorious Church. Because as Paul sits in prison in in Rome, there's a sense that there's a revelation comes to him about the church. And so he writes the letter of Ephesians to talk about this revelation that he has of what the church, capital C, big church, is all about. 
And he writes it. And I want to unpack a few things today. Um, uh, we could spend a lot of time, but I really encourage you, read through the book of Ephesians. Who's already been reading through the book of Ephesians? Magnificent. Melbourne, I see those hands. Wonderful. So in Ephesians, the church is called the family of God. Okay, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your relatives. Okay, that's good. All right. Welcome, family. I, I choose you anyway, just, let, just so you know. I choose you. Uh, we're called the house of God. So Paul writes and says, you're the house of God. You're the, you're the dwelling place of God. You're the temple of God. These are different metaphors that he uses about us. But one particularly leans into is he calls us the body of Christ. Now, I want you to understand this. He doesn't say you're like the body of Christ. He says you are the body of Christ. You're not, it's, not, it's not a metaphor. It's a reality. You are. So let's have a look in Ephesians 1 verse 20. I love the message the way it says this. All of this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from death and set him on his throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe. Everything from galaxies to governments. No name and no power exempt from his rule. Not just from the time being, but forever. He's in charge of it all. Has the final word on everything. And at the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. This is Paul beginning to unpack the revelation of the glorious church. The glorious church, it's the, it's the body of Jesus. Whatever Jesus did when he walked on earth, now the church is where his arms and his feet, and we, we speak on his behalf, where his heart, where we're doing all of these things. The church, uh, he goes on and he says, the church is going to be used to display the mystery of God that's been hidden throughout the ages. The mystery of God is that one day through Jesus, heaven and earth will become one. He talks about that in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10. The mystery hidden from the beginning of ages is that God will do away with the Jewish system of connecting with God and in Christ allow every person to become one with Jesus and be adopted into the family of God. And he says it's through the church that that, that mystery will be shouted not just to human beings, but to demons and to angels and every principality and power. The church is God's plan A on planet Earth. So Paul's writing to the church. He writes some letters to some churches that you wouldn't describe as particularly glorious. And a number of themes when he writes to the church comes out. And I want to just pick up two themes of Ephesus about this glorious church that Paul writes. One is the priority of unity. Okay, and the second is the grace of giftings. If you're writing this down, the priority of unity and the grace of giftings. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. It says this, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He's talking about the Jewish commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. 
Together as one body, there's, there's that phrase, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility towards each other was put to death. Now, you've got to understand what's going on here. This is probably for us culturally, it's a little hard to understand. Because in the day when Paul's writing this, the Jews for, for centuries had been God's chosen people and they were following a particular system and rules and regulations that they hardcore believed was the only way that you could have communion and be accepted by God that a male would be circumcised on day eight of his birth, that, that you wouldn't eat certain types of food, that you, that you would have to go to the temple every year, that, that there would be certain procedures that you would follow on the Sabbath, that, that you would access God's favor through worship and fulfilling the, the law. Okay, now ultimately it was the faith in God through the law that made them right with God. Okay, so, so they, you come along now and Paul starts out persecuting every follower of Jesus who says that's no longer the way. He's like throwing them in prison. He's seen them martyred. He's against, he's against uh, Christians saying after centuries, that's done. We don't need that anymore. In fact, the, the Jews are no longer God's only special people. He's opening the door to the Gentiles, to the rest of the world. And Paul's like, that's, that's a, such hypocrisy. That's, that's such a wrong way of thinking. And he starts to, and out of a zeal for God, he starts to persecute Jews, uh, Christians, sorry. But then he has an encounter with Jesus and he becomes the greatest one of opening the door that Greeks could actually be saved, but not have to follow the rules. Now, let's just brief for a first moment. Imagine the new people team or the new Christians pathway to the discipleship's pathway saying, welcome to church, couple of little things we've got to get sorted before you can come. There's the circumcision thing. Seal breaker for a lot of guys right there. There's the no bacon thing. Oh my gosh, that's another deal breaker. There's all these rules and regulations and the Jews put their faith in that system. And they, and they pull, they just, and from a right sense, you've got to understand, many of them are righteous. And many of them are, are like, this is the way we do it. And so Paul comes along, and, and he, now he becomes the guy going, hey, that's done. All you've got to do now is flee sexual immorality. Don't uh, have food offered to idols. Don't drink blood. There's about four key things plus the Ten Commandments that flow through to the New Testament church. And he comes to them and says, the door's wide open. So now... The church is filled with Gentiles and Jews. And historically, they hate each other. Historically, they judge each other. In fact, if you were to go to the temple in Israel, uh, you would get, uh, if you were a Greek and you, weren't, you weren't, hadn't been adopted into the Jewish religion, you could get to the outer court of the temple, which is called the temple of, of the Gentiles or the nations. That's where Jesus said, get these guys out of here. Uh, I, this should be the prayer for all nations. You could go to that part, but if you weren't a Jew, you couldn't go up the 14 steps of the out, from the outer court to the inner court because there was a five-foot wall at the top of that thing and if you went inside there as a non-Jew even if you were a Roman citizen you would be uh, subject to death penalty so the only people who could go into the inner court was the Jews male and female then there was a, a women's section and a men's section eventually the holy of holies and Paul writes and says that now in Jesus this wall of hostility that's the phrase he uses 
the wall of hostility, which is don't come in, you don't belong. Don't come in, you're not a Jew. Don't come in, you don't follow the rules. Don't come in, you weren't chosen by God. Paul says that wall of hostility from both sides in Christ has been made low. So not only was the, cur- the curtain broken so that the presence of God came outside of the temple into every one of us who now have the Holy Spirit on the inside and we're the temple of God, but the, the wall of hostility that separated the world and the Jews was broken down and Paul writes to them. Now here's the thing. Part of Paul's ongoing pain is everywhere he goes declaring this good news that you can be part of Christ's body, part of the family, accepted and made right without God, without following the Jewish rules. Everywhere he goes, there's this group of radical, zealous Jews chasing him and harassing him. Uh, It's believed. In one thing he says, uh, Lord, take away the thorn in my flesh. He prays it three times. Most people believe the thorn in his flesh was wherever he went. Uh, This group of people called Judaizers would follow him and would yell at him and get him kicked out of the synagogue. And in actual fact, Paul was in prison at this moment because you read it in Acts chapter 19 because when he went back to to, to Jerusalem to worship, the Judaizers, the Jews from this region of Ephesus of Asia Minor, saw him there because they went to the temple every year. They saw him there and they thought that he took one of the, the, uh, the uncircumcised Gentiles into the temple and they wanted him to be killed. So they're following their, rule, their law. And now Paul writes to them and he goes, I'm writing to you guys. And it's because this is what he literally says. It's because I stick up for you guys. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 1. That's why, why I, Paul, am in jail for Christ having taken up the cause of you so-called outsiders. He goes, I'm literally in jail because I'm preaching a gospel that says you're accepted. And the Jews hate me. Not the, the Romans don't hate me. The Jews hate me. And they're appealing to the Romans. And I've appealed to Caesar. So this is, this is, the, this is what's going on. And so now he writes Ephesians to the church and particularly to the Gentiles. And this is what he's, this is what he's saying. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3 to 6. Remember, this, this point is unity is a priority. I want you to understand that one of the devil's number one strategies against the church is division. It's to separate. It's to create subgroups. It's to create Jews and Gentiles or Catholics and Protestants or Baptists and Pentecostals. He wants to create groups that are against each other rather than one. Mm, Okay, you're like, this this is great when you're talking about Jews and Gentiles, but I have a feeling it's going to get practical real soon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's going to get practical. Ephesians 4 verse 3 to 6, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body, there it is again, that's Everyone who's born again is now part of the body of Christ. One body, one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is over all and living through all. Make every effort to keep yourselves united, bound together with peace. So this is talking about two types of church. Okay, you've got the local church. 
So, so C3 Powerhouse is your local church. If you're part of this church community, this church family, this is your local church. And then there's the capital C church, the church or the body of Christ in the world, right across the globe. And when you're part of one, you're part of the other. When you're part of the small C church, the local church, the expression of Christ in your local community, then you're part of the body of Christ, the, 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 the church across the globe. And the enemy's plan is to sow division into the church to keep us disunited. Many of you would have heard of what's called autoimmune diseases. An autoimmune disease, things like lupus or rheumatoid arthritis, type 1 diabetes, multiple sclerosis, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, Addison's disease, celiac. These kinds of disease come under the category of autoimmune disease. And this concept is when a disease uh, which your body's immune system actually attacks healthy cells. So your body's immune system is designed to repel unhealthy cells or repel attacks or bacteria. However, this type of disease actually turns your immune system to fighting your system. It's an autoimmune disease. And although you can treat the symptoms, there's no yet cure found for most of these autoimmune diseases. It's when the body turns on itself and attacks itself. And the result of the body turning on itself and attacking itself is multiple things, but things like significant fatigue, uh, significant upset stomach, bloating, all sorts of different things happen. And this is a powerful metaphor of what the devil tries to do with the church. He tries to get those of us who are all cells and part of the body of Christ, who are supposed to be repelling the enemy's attack and repelling sin and repelling gossip and repelling uh, all sorts of attacks from without, when we begin to attack ourselves. We begin to come against those in our church or those those in our little C local church or those in the body of Christ. I mean, it can be as simple as someone in your connect group is driving you crazy. And, and what this is how it goes. Uh, it starts with either, you know, someone keeps not turning up on your volunteer team and you have to cover their butt and you find a little attitude starting to develop. Come on, never, I can't imagine. A little attitude starts to develop and a little attitude or, or maybe someone does something genuinely that hurts you and wounds you. And that's normal. We're going to get wounded when we, we live in close proximity. We're going to get hurt. We're going to, and so, but what we do with that hurt is really pivotal. And so the devil wants that hurt to be, to, that wound to fester. And he wants us to create, to develop an opinion about somebody. Now, if you've been a Christian for long enough, it's not an opinion, it's a discernment. I'm just discerning something's not going on good over there. That's what we call it. We package it up as spiritual, but, but in reality, we're offended, and now, now we've formed an opinion. And an, an, an opinion is just a sexy way of saying a judgment. I've, I've made it a judgment against a person, and unfortunately, a judgment is an autoimmune condition. When we judge one another... It's an autoimmune disease. Oh, 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 I can feel it coming right now. 
Now, now these, are, these are things that can happen. The enemy, he tries to, whether it's with wounds or offenses, and, and we have to, you've got to just be ruthless. If you're going to survive as a Christian in the house of God, you've got to be ruthless with pulling out the weeds of offense and wounds. They happen all the time. Uh, you know, it's like our garden. We don't plant weeds. They just grow there. And so you've just got to go. Every, you've got to just go. It's time for some weeding, church. Oh, God, forgive me for that judgment of that person. Forgive me for not releasing them from my opinion very quickly. Forgive me, Lord. It did hurt. The Bible talks about how we, can, how we can deal with things that genuinely hurt and how we need to be proactive and not complain but talk. Bring them to Christ. Forgive. Talk things out. And so that, that's, that's in the, the local church setting. And then, and then other things come along. So the enemy's like, well, what else can I do? Well, I'll, I'll get everybody majoring on the minors. Oh, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, the minors are things that aren't, aren't really the main things that church that we need to be concerned about. And so you watch the last few years where the devil's come along and thrown in grenades to get people to major on the minors that then separates them over things that aren't really major. Suddenly there's an anti-vax crowd and a pro-vax crowd. Suddenly there's a pro-Trump or a pro-Biden or a pro-Labor or pro-Green or there's a, there's a this crowd or there's a capitalist or there's a, there's a, there's a blue collar and suddenly groups are formed with opinions. But at the end of the day, it's okay to have those opinions, but they're just minors. They're minor. They're not majors. One body, one baptism, one faith, one Lord, one Father. And so Paul writes... In Ephesians, and his guys fight for unity. Fight for unity. He addresses it all the time. He says, some of you are, you know, you're worried about having food who's been given to idols. He says, you know, it's up to your conscience, but if it's going to offend somebody else, don't do it. Because unity trumps your opinion. Others, and this is, this is the flow, and he's like, Greeks and Gentiles, he's like, come on, you guys, you've got to fight for unity because what you once thought were the majors, they're not the majors anymore. That's just minors. There are things that the enemy will breathe on to divide you. He says, fight for, fight for. This is, okay, confession moment. I know, that will get your attention. So there are, there are times, and this is, God does this interesting thing with the big C church, the, bo- the body of Christ. And God will raise up different, different global voices and global leaders who will bring an emphasis that he wants to weave through the fabric of the church. And so those global leaders, he'll raise up a, a Bill Johnson who wants to weave things like healing through the church. And he'll, he'll raise up a Joseph Prince to weave the message of grace through the church. And he'll raise up, we had one here recently, a Darlene Check and a Hillsong and a, and a Planet Shakers because he wants to weave worship in a contemporary way through, through the world church, not just the local church. He'll, he'll raise up a Joyce Meyer to, to speak about the battlefield of the mind. And he'll raise up a Rick Warren to talk about purpose and purpose-driven churches, and a John Bevere, so that we deal with offense, and we learn how to be undercover, and, and he'll raise up a Dr. Cho, so we can learn to be partners with the Holy Spirit, and fourth dimension, and he'll raise up a Reinhard Bonnke, or a Billy Graham, so that we're passionate about evangelism, but here's the thing, God raises them all up, and sometimes, okay, this is, I'm not going to talk about you, I'm just going to talk about me, sometimes, out of my own prejudice, preference, or insecurities, discernment, 
we form an opinion about somebody that we're not even in any near proximity to, don't know their heart, don't know their situation. And I was praying one day, waiting on God, saying, Lord, what do you want to say to me? And I remember he told me three things. One of them was spoiled Danielle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I felt I just said, get behind me, Satan, get behind me. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the, the next thing he said to me was, your opinions offend me. Uh, and I knew exactly what he was talking about. Oh, I've made opinions about men and women of God globally who God's using out of my own prejudice, my own style preference, my own insecurities. And it's, a, it's been a... It began a prayer of, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. I don't know. Who am I to make an opinion about that? That's not my... I'm so sorry. God, you're using these people. And who am I to say to have an opinion and a judgment? The Bible talks about you can grieve the Holy Spirit. And it put a fear of God in me around having opinions. Now, do I sometimes slip up and get caught up with my own opinion? Sure, I do. But then it's like a daily prayer, God, help me, help me not have judgments. I don't want to be an autoimmune guy. I don't want to be a guy who's attacking the church with my opinions. The big church or the little church, the local church or the church. I don't want to be, I don't want to be piling on some leader who's had a tough time. I don't want to be piling on somebody. I, that's not my job to judge. It's God's job to judge. So some weeds are really easy to pull out. And then we've got some other weeds at our place that are part of banana, that, that, that banana weed. They're just growing everywhere and pull, knocking the fence over. To pull a banana tree weed out, it's a crowbar. It's a lot of effort. You've got to watch it growing back. And so there are certain things that's very easy to pull out that's hindering our unity. Sometimes the way to pull a weed out is not just to say, sorry, God, but it's to go and say sorry to somebody. Because that humility actually pulls the weed out. Sometimes it's, it's some prayer and fasting. God, purify my heart, my motivation. The glorious church. He raises people all around the world. I think of others like N.T. Wright, great theologian, theologian, Tim Keller, Nicky Gumbel, so many people from all walks, Pentecostal, Baptist, uh, Evangelical, Anglican, Church of Christ. God's got, a, it's not the name on the door that makes a church awesome or a person awesome. Right around the world, there are Catholic churches, Pentecostal churches, Anglican churches, Baptist churches, independent churches, uniting churches that, are, that have got unsaved people in them, and awesome Christ followers in them. It's not the name on the door. It's our attitude and our heart. So God, would you help us? Come on, close your eyes. God, would you help us? Lord, at a local, individual level, to weed out our judgments and opinions against your righteous saints who are learning to walk out their salvation. We're not their judge. We want to make every effort to keep ourselves united in the Spirit because that's where blessing is. 
Forgive me, Lord, where I've made opinions and judgments against men and women of God who you're using throughout the earth. We bless every local church in our community here and in Melbourne. We declare blessing over every church that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every church that intends to disciple people and reach lost people through the word of God, we bless them. We thank you. Work in us. Your glorious church, without spot or stain, holy through Jesus. Hmm. Just let the Lord work in your heart right now. Eyes closed, Melbourne, online, Sunshine Coast. I got halfway through my message. So we're going to stop there. Just ask the Holy Spirit, who have I got an ungodly opinion about? And then just begin to repent. Release them from your judgment. In Christ, we're one. We're neither male nor female. We're neither slave or slave owner. We're neither ruler or worker, Jew nor Gentile. There's no second class citizen when you're in Christ. You're part of the body. And so, Lord, we don't want to attack our own body. If you've been saying stuff against the body of Christ, people. You're on dangerous ground. Let the fear of God come upon us. Saying I was only joking after making a statement does not excuse it. You're just better to say, I don't know the facts. I'm not close. I don't have an opinion. Prayer is a precursor to revival, but unity is a precursor to revival. God, let us be united in our hearts. 
We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Fantastic. Melbourne, I'm going to release you. Steve Marks, you're coming to take the meeting. God bless you. Have a great rest of the morning.